The scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, and verses 32 through 33. Please turn to the bulletin and read responsively. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol. Whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not make the wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or anything but belongs to your neighbor. You shall be careful to do what the Lord has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways that the Lord commanded you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our scripture reading continues in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, reading in chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, and then at verse 21. Jesus is speaking, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then at verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. This is the sixth commandment. But I say to you, says Jesus, that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. You have heard that it was said, says Jesus, you shall not commit adultery. This is the seventh commandment. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, in a land filled with abundance, we come to you as those who are hungry and thirsty. For we know we cannot live by bread alone, but only by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So feed us, we pray, with the bread of life, and quench our thirst through the proclamation of your word, and in moments to come in the sacrament of communion. Help us know our dependence on you, 
and your sufficiency for us in all things. It is through Christ we pray. Amen. So in our sermons during the summer, we're looking at the books of Moses. These comprise the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament. And in my case, when I'm preaching, I'll be selecting passages from just one of these books, the book of Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy means second law, Deuteronomy. Deutero means second. Nomi is from the Greek word nomos. It means law or convention or sometimes can mean story. And we use that word in a number of our words. So we have astronomy, astronomy, uh, the law or the story of the stars, agronomy, the story of agriculture or the land, autonomy, the story of myself, the law about myself, the rules and the regulations by which I govern myself. So this book is called Deuteronomy, not only because the contents comprises a second telling of the story of Israel after they come out of slavery in Egypt. This is a final charge from Moses as he stands on the edge of the promised land and he's looking back at all the story of God's ancient people and he tells the story again to remind them of who God is, who God has been and who God wants to be for them and who they need to be in the days ahead. But it's also called Deuteronomy because there is within the book a second telling of the Ten Commandments, a second recounting of the great laws which lay at the foundation of the life of ancient Israel. So listen again, I'll give you an abbreviated version. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor the Ten Commandments. We first read about these commandments in the 20th chapter of Exodus to be repeated in our chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But we first read about the commandments not long after God's ancient people escaped from slavery in Egypt. God delivered them across the Red Sea. They find themselves in the middle of nowhere. They realize that unless God provides food and drink for them, they are going to die in the wilderness. And even though they see God's hand at work, the sense of unity in the community begins to dissipate and to self-destruct pretty quickly. It's a rabble. They've never governed themselves before. And so they reach a mountain. It's called Mount Sinai in Exodus. That's the normal term we use. In Deuteronomy, it's called Mount Horeb. They reach this mountain, and God calls Moses up the mountain and gives him the commandments, as it were, face to face. And he does this, he gives them the commandments as a powerful tool, not just to provide individual moral guidelines for our lives, though they function that way, but that is not their only purpose by any stretch of the imagination, but rather the purpose of the commandments fundamentally is to bind the community together to bind God's people together, to give them a common framework in which to understand their religious and their moral life together so that they can become one people under, well, yes, under God. 
in a wonderful study of the commandments in a book not surprisingly called The Ten Commandments, uh, written by one of my doctoral uh, advisors, former professor at Union Seminary and at Princeton Seminary, the late Dr. Patrick Miller. We read this, and if you want a copy, an extended copy of this, you can find this in the sermon notes. You can download it uh, after worship today. He says this, and I'm going to read a fairly extensive section. There are few biblical texts that have played as large a role in the church and public life as the Ten Commandments. From their setting in Scripture to the contemporary debate about their public display, the commandments have seemed to embody God's will for human life as fully as any particular body or teaching of Scripture. Martin Luther famously said, this much is certain. Those who know the Ten Commandments perfectly know the entire Scriptures, and in all affairs and circumstances are able to counsel, help, comfort, judge, and make decisions in both spiritual and temporal matters. In terms of the impact of the commandments on secular law codes, Dr. Miller writes this. He says, in England, Alfred the Great prefaces code of the ancient Saxon law with the Ten Commandments. Thomas Hobbes found in the Decalogue grounding for his understanding of sovereignty. Further, he writes, it is widely recognized that the commandments have had a significant impact on the development of the secular legal codes of the Western world, so says uh, uh, attorney and professor Stephen Carter. And in the case of the United States, he writes, the specific impact of the Decalogue on American constitutionalism is a subject of debate. But it is clear, he says, that if there are other law codes involved, and many would argue that, nevertheless, the Ten Commandments, he says, have had a formative and a normative role in the discussion. And then he adds this. He says, one common misperception about the Ten Commandments is this, that they are generally cut and dried, relatively simple and trivial, but nothing could be further from the truth. Rather, he writes, the commandments are the starting point, the generative principles of a rich trajectory of meaning and effects and actions that tell the community of faith how to live its life in relationship to God and neighbor. And this is what he says, which is really pertinent for today, for July the 4th. He says, one can compare the relation between the commandments and the various statutes and ordinances that follow them in the books of Moses, the Torah and the Pentateuch, with the relationship of the United States Constitution to the extensive cases or case law that have developed out of the Constitution, seeking to work out the implications of the initial general principles in particular situations throughout time. Do you get that? So you've got the, the, the foundation to begin with, some general principles, and then specific laws follow from those general principles. That's how a constitution works. The laws may change over time, but the constitution remains throughout the period of time. The commandments serve as a kind of constitution for God's covenanted ancient people Israel, generating the more specific contextual laws of Israel. Last Sunday, I actually gave an example of this as we looked at the fourth commandment, the commandment about the Sabbath day. So you remember the fourth commandment, you're to remember the Sabbath day, you're to keep it holy. But in both Exodus and in Deuteronomy, there's an extended section afterwards. And in Deuteronomy in particular, that extended section 
is about labor law and about animal welfare. So you are not to do work on the Sabbath day. Good, I'll stay at home, I won't do any work. But then the commandment adds, no, 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 it's not just about you. It's about your, your family as well. And it's about your servants as well. And then the commandment goes on to say it's about your animals as well. And this is the first law of labor relations that we have in the pages of the scripture, stemming from the constitutional statement about the Sabbath day. Foundational. The specific laws, they follow, but here's the foundation. And this is foundational not only for ancient Israel, but it's foundational for Christians as well, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament and in the teaching of Jesus. So let me put it like this and go back a little bit before we move forward. Some people read the Old Testament and they say, I can't follow those rules, those laws now in my life. I mean, surely they are out of date. And I would say to you, yeah, some of them are out of date. They were for a specific group of people at a specific moment in time. Those were the laws that they followed. But all those laws flow out of the Ten Commandments. But just because I don't like those laws, I don't throw out the Constitution through which they were developed. The Constitution remains. The specifics change over time. And Jesus, Jesus understands the Ten Commandments in exactly this kind of way. He refers to them explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount, the passage of Scripture that I read just a few moments ago. And in fact, he also refers to them implicitly in the Sermon on the Mount where he teaches what we call the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is about the first commandment, the second commandment, and the third commandment. First commandment, second commandment, third commandment. God first. No idols. God is alive. God's name not being taken in vain. Our Father, not an idol, but personality. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. May your name be hallowed. Not dishallowed, not taken in vain, but hallowed. Thy kingdom come. And the emphasis in the Bible is on the word thy. It's not my kingdom but it's thy kingdom that needs to come. God first in all things. Those commandments are essential to the understanding of the Lord's prayer. Implicitly, they are there. But when Jesus mentions them explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount, it's very clear. He does not undermine their authority one whit, but indeed he adds to their authority. And he follows up on what the prophet Jeremiah says, that the law of God needs to be placed on our hearts by the power of God's Holy Spirit. He intensifies the commandments. He does not minimize them. So when he refers to the sixth commandment about murder, he doesn't just speak about killing people, and we go, I haven't done that any time recently. Thank goodness I'm off the hook. But he says, no, no, no. This is a commandment about your thoughts. He goes straight into our inner thoughts. And he says, we can kill people with our anger. We can kill people when we demonize them. And demonizing is a really common sport these days. No, 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 says Jesus. And then he does what he often does, Hebrew hyperbole, but just it shakes people up. You'll be thrown into the hell of fire if you call somebody an idiot. Do not demonize. 
all stemming from the sixth commandment about murder. And then the seventh commandment about adultery. Not merely about not committing adultery. Hope you can say, haven't done that. But he says, it's not, it's not just what it's about. It's not just about that. It's about the way you think. It's about the way you think about sexuality in our world, which is filled with people trying to put thoughts of sexuality into our hearts and our minds. And Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman with lust commits adultery with her in his heart. So this is a commandment to Jesus, which is about pornography. It's about the web. It's about any small steps we take in the wrong direction. It's about me too. If Jesus were alive today, he would say, no, this commandment is exactly the foundation for what we've been talking about in recent days, years, months, about me too, the treating or the mistreating of anyone in any kind of sexual abuse, and especially men against women. Then Jesus refers to the commandments again in Matthew chapter 19. He's meeting with a rich man. We sometimes call the story the story of the rich young ruler. And in that story, he quotes five of the Ten Commandments. Quotes five of them to the rich man. And then when the man says, well, I think I've done all of these, treats them pretty casually, not in the intense way that Jesus teaches them, Jesus radicalizes the Tenth Commandment. And the Tenth Commandment is, thou shalt not covet. And the man is wealthy, and Jesus says to him, you need to give it all away. Ugh, I can't. My identity is wrapped up in what I have. And that, that is about coveting. So Jesus himself not only refers to the commandments, he intensifies them. He expands on them. They are for him, as they were in the Old Testament, generative. That is, they generate the discussion that follows, and that's how they are to function within our lives as well. But some people, they still have questions that they want to ask about how the commandments are to function within our lives as Christians, and in particular, questions to ask after our recent series of sermons in Paul's letter to the Romans. So somebody may say something like this, okay, so these commandments are important to Jesus, these commandments are important to our Christian forebears. But doesn't the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, say that we as Christians don't live under the law, but under grace? As Christians, we don't follow a set of rules in order to please God. We aren't in the business of checking off our list of commandments every day so that we can earn enough brownie points with God to be in God's good books or God's good book and so enter into heaven. Instead, we follow a Savior who loves us, despite our sin and our weakness. So isn't the whole idea of giving prominence to these commandments or to any commandments just something that doesn't sit right with what we read about in the rest of Scripture? I thought our job as Christians was to live in a relationship of grace with God without the law. And if you were to say that kind of thing to me, I would say to you in response, yeah, that's, that's exactly how I understand things as well. Or let me put it like this, there are no commandments given to us by God that we can keep perfectly enough to earn God's favor. There are no commandments given to us by God that we can keep perfectly enough to earn God's favor. God knows this. And the God 
who gives to us the commandments is and always has been and always will be the God who steps into our lives when we are helpless, when we know we cannot match up and lifts us up and delivers us from whatever bondage we are in and brings us by sheer grace into a relationship with God. But that was true in the days of Moses as well, not just in the New Testament. That's always been true of God. Indeed, it's a message that was announced to the people of Israel at the very moment when they received the Ten Commandments, that they were not to use these commandments to earn their way into heaven. They had already been brought into the presence of God by the God who had delivered them from slavery. God's grace preceded the law, the guidelines that God would give them. Many people, when they read the commandments, and many people these days don't read the commandments at all, even within the church, they miss the opening words. The first words of the Ten Commandments, but they're not the first commandment. The first words that we sometimes call the prologue are these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage or slavery. Before you know anything about what God wants you to do, you hear about what God has done for you. You learn about who God is. Our God is a God who is passionate about our liberty, passionate about our liberty, who longs to deliver people. Literally, the story of the Exodus is literal, as well as physically, spiritually, economically, mentally, in every kind of way. This is who God is. God wants our liberty more than we do, more than any cry within our nation. God wants our liberty. And he gives us the commandments precisely because it is by living within them that we find our liberty. These are the boundaries within which we will experience maximum liberty within life. The most abundant life we can have always functions within certain boundaries. If God doesn't give them to us, somebody else will. And the boundaries other people give to us will never give us the liberty that these commandments given to us by God will give to us. St. Augustine prayed this. He prayed, eternal God, you are the light of the minds that know you, the joy of the hearts that love you, the strength of the wills that serve you. Grant us so to know you that we may truly love you, so to love you that we may fully serve you, whom to serve is perfect freedom. Whom to serve is perfect freedom. Of course, the truth is that every boundary, every no, can be turned into a sense of obligation. We're told to do something against our will and we go into a huff because we just don't want to do that. Every boundary can feel harsh, to begin with, at least. But on the other hand, What's also true is this, that every human endeavor worth pursuing, every language worth learning, every relationship worth preserving, 
every Olympic athlete who has ever won a gold medal, and every single game that we play, all have countless rules and regulations that are accepted as a matter of course. You train for the Olympics, you know what the rules are. You break them. You're not either going to be there, and you're certainly not going to, you're not going to win. And in most cases, there are way more than 10 rules, way more. So you want to play hockey, basketball, for example, you want to have some fun, then rule number one, to have fun, is to know the rules. Kids are playing together. What's the first thing that's going to destroy the game? An argument about the rules. So you know the rules. And when you know the rules, when everybody on the field knows the rules, that's when the game can actually begin. In fact, those who play the game best so internalize the rules that they don't consciously have to think about them. And they can get on with the game itself. Musicians do this. They've so trained themselves in the discipline that they can do amazing things. Don't submit yourself to the discipline. You'll play the same old tune again and again and again, which is what I do on the guitar or in anything else. Again and again. I can't get past where I was when I was 16 years of age because I did not submit myself to the discipline. The discipline, the rules, the boundaries free us up to play the game. So 3,400 years or so ago, when God's people were set free from slavery by God's hand, when God led them on their way through the middle of nowhere to a new home, there in the middle of nowhere as the community was disintegrating, God turned this rabble, and that's what they were, into a nation of his people, a people of his calling. And he did so by reminding them of who he was and by giving them the gift of the law, the gift of the law, a nation not of people, not of personalities, not bound essentially to Moses, one charismatic leader, but bound to God through the law that God had given to them, the constitution that God had given to them. And this constitution enabled them to live in freedom and in liberty with each other and with God and to play the game of life to obtain maximum fulfillment and maximum joy. This is what God wants for all of us, every single one of us. Is this your God who wants this kind of liberty for you? then learn about his grace and learn about his laws and take them, as Jesus would say, to heart, to mind, this day of all days, this day, for God's glory and our eternal joy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, come to us, we pray. Help us to constantly think about your ways in the world and the ways in which you want us to live, and the ways in which your rules and guidelines and teaching of all kinds gives us guidance and wisdom for life. So may we follow, and in following, find that we are bound together as a community 
filled with joy and fulfillment through Jesus Christ. Amen.